0: ladies and gentlemen welcome to mondo and friends amando fresco and today is a very very special day we have the legendary photographer director entrepreneur esteban orio how are you i'm
1: good thank you man thanks for having me down
0: man i have been looking forward to sitting down with you man and having you on Mondo and friends for for a while you're 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 a legend in, in what you do man. I I became a, a an even bigger fan when you dropped the documentary in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. LA Originals. So, I'm assuming you were working on that for for a while.
1: Yeah, but I think uh I signed the deal like in uh 2017. 2017 or 2018. It took a couple years to edit it cuz um you know we went to our people here in l.a and everybody shot us down and then we went to uh, a guy from Austri- uh from argentina came up and he's like the only low rider in argentina his name is sebastian ortega and he owns a production company down there that has the biggest like tv shows running in argentina in buenos aires he does a show called el marinal it's won a lot of awards so when I came uh across him and met him over here, you know, he came up and he had Dickies and a white T shirt, he was sleeved down, wearing some chucks and I was like, Man, this guy, you know, he got the look already, he looks cool. Yeah. Now look, you know, these other execs from the, you know, the the big production companies, they look all stiffed out. So then he told me he had a lowrider and he was showing me flicks of it and he's like, you know, I'd like to bring you to Argentina and um maybe do your doc for you and i was like you know let's roll so he took me down there you know treated me good you know flew me down first class got me a cool hotel and nice took me to his building and and like i saw the the building i was just like man this is the right guy you know so And I seen the way everybody treated him and how he treated everybody. He was real respectful and cool to everybody. But at the same time, he was still a boss, you know? So I was like, this is a dude that we got to roll with, you know? So I told Cartoon, I was like, hey, man, I think I I found us a home for the doc. Yeah. And um, we took all the footage down there, and I went down there and met his team, and He put, like, three editors on it, and they were just banging stuff out, you know, and uh, got it to a point where they could show it to Netflix, because most of his stuff is with Netflix, and uh, Netflix in Argentina, or maybe Latin America or whatever, they liked it, and they were going to put it out, and I guess they showed it to, you know, the home base here, the headquarters, and they ended up wanting to pick it up, so... Originally, we were supposed to do the film festival circuit, and we had uh, Netflix hooked it up to where we were going to headline one night at the film festival at at South by Southwest, and then uh, Spike Jones was going to headline the the second night. Wow. But they were going to play our movie during the day, too, on that day, so we had the only film that was going to play two days in a row, and... A week before the we were supposed to go to south by southwest netflix was the last company to pull out of the festival everybody had pulled out because of the COVID and netflix was like the last ones and all the homies you know we had like 20 30 people going out there with us they're like hey what do we do with the uh you know the airbnb and our plane tickets and i was like i don't know you know like you want a note from me or what you know like <laughs> i don't know what to tell you man like i never been through this before yeah. and i was like i'm sure they're not gonna burn you because is going crazy right now you know it's like right when it hit and you know like every big brand was pulling out of south by southwest it's yeah. never happened before so it was kind of like uh you know like Putting the air out of the balloon, you know, for me. Because, you know, if you're a filmmaker, like your dream is to go to film festivals and like win them and be there with other big, big, you know, films and, you know, that whole industry. And then they say, oh, you know, your big day is, you know, gone, canceled. So I was like, man, you know, like, go figure, you know? And then people are like, oh, don't trip, you know? Everybody will watch it now. You know, now nobody can go outside, so everybody's gonna watch, be watching Netflix. And at that time, they had the the Tiger King. Yeah, Tiger was, King was like the biggest thing. Yeah, in Netflix. he was yeah. huge. But the same time is everybody had already seen it. Everybody had already binge watched it, and it was kind of over. And I was like, they're they're waiting for something. What's next? Yeah. And like our documentary dropped and started trending and started you know making it in the charts It we went from 10 to to 8 back down to 9 to 7 to 5 to 6 it's just kept going in the top 10 and we were like damn we're in the top 10 you know and then for documentaries it made it to like number one but in all the way across all the movies it went to number four so like you know we're like didn't work out with the film festival circuit but it worked out in the top 10 in the netflix you know so that was cool for us then uh you know i getting like hundreds of texts and phone calls and dms like people i haven't talked to in 20 years hey man just saw the movie congratulations and it was like overwhelming you know yeah. my phone was just going it's like crazy. it's
0: like your birthday times 100. yeah yeah a thousand. <laughs> i was like damn man like
1: but i answered every single person back man you know i was grateful you know that everybody sat down and took an hour and a half out of their life to watch something i did and they took the time to you know write me a message so i wrote back to every single person that emailed me, texted me, DM me, whatever, you know? I know I missed, you know how on the DM, it lasts for 24 hours if it's to your, you know, to your message or whatever. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So I was hitting people back and they're like, ha ah, thanks bro, that was three weeks ago. I go, yeah, it took me this long to get to <laughs> you, you know? Like I've been going to everybody. <laughs> and, uh, but it was cool, you know? I was like, one of the best experiences in life today you know so that was a that was a game changer for us
0: would you say that film portrayed your life's work accurately
1: uh no i'd say it was like a highlight reel
0: a highlight reel
1: yeah because you know originally we wanted like a four-part series so we could go in depth and really get that you know get that that life story type of deal but you try to chop up you know 25 30 years of your life and career into 90 minutes it's hard it's hard you know and you have to divide that between me and tomb so that's like uh, 45 minutes each you know do your whole life story in 45 minutes is you know i mean i guess it's enough time but you don't really get to get into it you know like yeah. go deep into it
0: now i want to i mean for you know for those that don't know you know about esteban the legendary esteban orio uh he's photographed everybody and their mamas al pacino robert de niro uh kim kardashian kanye snoop dogg floyd May- mayweather lance armstrong i mean you name it if they're public figures or celebrities they're doing something. This man in front of me has worked with them, uh, in, I want to go back to when you initially started, you were, uh, a tour manager initially yeah. Yeah. for House of Pain and, and my hometown heroes in Southgate, Cypress Hill. Yeah. Uh, tell me, man, how from that to photography, I also know your pops, uh, the legendary Ediberto Oriol, yeah. uh, gifted you, a uh, a camera yeah so can can you take us back to where it, your career initially
1: yeah um, it started with uh i want to say like i probably want to say it started in the late 80s in the late 80s i met mugs dj and producer of cypress hill i used to work at the doors of clubs and i bought a lowrider in 1989 which was a, or well i bought a, a car a 64 impala Shortly after that, you know, me and Muggs became friends. He took me down to the Cypress Ave like in 89. Um, I met Sen and B right, right there on Cypress Ave. And I started uh, working on the car like in 91. So doing construction all day, working the clubs at night. You know, I was scraping, getting by. And then Muggs was like, I got a job for you. This is in 92. And he says, uh, I want you to uh, tour manage a group called House of Pain I have, you know, these white boys. And I was like, okay. You know, and there was like, at that time, there wasn't very many white guys in hip-hop. You know, there was Deborah Harry. She's one of the original, you know, rappers back in the day-day. And then there was uh, Third Base and Vanilla Ice. And I was like, you know, in my head, I'm, you know, within seconds, I'm like, what, you know, What kind of person is, and there was Everlast Everlast. from Ryan's syndicate. So I go, who could this be that he's talking about? You know, some new kids or somebody, you know, somebody else. And he goes, House of Pain, and it's Everlast, and he has two other people that, you know, he's rolling with. And it's uh, like Irish dudes, you know. I was like, okay, I get it, you know. Like, I know that Everlast could wrap his ass off from the syndicate. And, um, I know him from when he used to come to the clubs and at the same time I was working on my car. So my pops was like, Hey, you have this cool lifestyle going on. You're building your lowrider in East LA. You have your car club and you're going on tour with the, with this group and their song jump around is taking off. Like you should be taking photos of all this. This is good, good, like, you know, good material here. And, uh, At first, I kind of was, like, not into taking out a camera because it wasn't cool. It was, like, if you weren't a professional with a camera and getting paid, you were, like, either, like, a hobbyist or a paparazzi or a tourist. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people just looked goofy carrying around cameras back then. You know, you had a strap and it's a big old clunky thing. It's, like, (laughs) to me, the guys with the big gold chains... You know, and the diamonds and everything, yeah, they yeah, look goofy, yeah. you know, having these big things on them. <laughs> so I felt like that, you know, that I look kind of weird with, with this big old camera. So I never had it on me. I would just carry a little key. And if there was something cool, I'd take a picture here and there. But then I started getting more used to taking it out and talking to people and having them get comfortable you know because at first as soon as you pull out a camera people are like oh okay i gotta change you know (laughs) i can't be me no more yeah yeah and uh you know they it wasn't that type of thing you know like now you know everybody's used to some photos or getting filmed or especially with like you know you see you drive down the street and you'll see people with like a a portable stand with the with the o-ring light <laughs> yeah. and they're over there tick-tocking by themselves on the street i'm like look at like how it, how far it's come you yeah. know like every single thing has been photographed every single thing is being filmed and you know it's crazy now yeah but back then it wasn't cool like if you had a camera especially like in a hood or something People are like, are you a cop or what are you doing? What are you taking those pictures for? What are you know, they had all these questions. Yeah. Like, no, no it's none of that. It's just I just like taking pictures, you know? So that's how it all started, taking pictures of the low riders and all the homies that were around in that scene, and then taking pictures of the hip hop world because, you know, I was in it. I was working with the band every day. You know, twenty four seven I was either low riding or in hip-hop, so I just started taking pictures of all that, and little by little, I learned how to hustle those photos into magazines through the magazines that would come and interview Cyp- or Cypress or House of Pain, or uh, I had a, a Japanese homie in our car club, he had a friend that did a magazine called Fine back in the day that had like all kinds of culture like low riding, hip hop, punk rock, skating, surfing, uh you know a little bit of everything in this magazine. It's kind of like their bible yeah. of culture. And they asked my Japanese homie to send them Japanese or uh low riding pictures to Japan. And he was like, "I'm not interested, you know. I just build low riders, but I know a guy that can do that." So I started taking pictures for them. And um we had our own little section in there. We did it every month. It was called Low Life for Low Rider Lifestyle. And uh you know, right away I was working, you know, doing a low writing section in a magazine and I was doing hip hop um articles for hip hop magazines because of the House of Pain.
0: Tell me about <laughs> tell me about your your PhD.
1: My PhD, uh, PhD stands for push Here dummy. Yeah. And I got that from my boy, Ricky Powell, rest in peace.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I heard him say one time and I was like, Hey, you know, can I run with that? He goes, yeah, man, go ahead. Take that. Shit. So I was like, you know, I try and throw it in there, here and there, but he was the, you know, the king of it. And, um, that's it. You know, I just learned how to do my photos that simply you know i like that was PhD basically, push here dummy
0: yeah i was like <laughs> you know my
1: dad my my whole photography you know um education was my dad yeah. showing me the camera and there was two pins that lined up inside you know you turn the the speed of the frame and the shutter speed and you and you line up those two knobs on the camera and the lens and when the two but, the two pins inside line up, yeah. then it's ready to shoot. So then you know, you push here, dummy, and you focus, and you're, you get the shot. You know, so that him explaining that to me the same way I explained it to you yeah. was my total, you know, introduction to photography. And you know, I just ran with that whenever I felt it was cool and comfortable, and shot pictures here and there until i became more comfortable with it and then i shot more and and started working and and took off from there
0: your your father uh ediberto he was a photographer very well known in in los angeles he uh photographed like los angeles culture and and uh the the homelessness that was happening i mean it's still happening now yeah you know back then was it like 80s back then um
1: he started in the 70s he's he's from san diego and he used to work at a place called the the chicano federation which was in chicano park in in uh, logan heights so um they were like an activist group and they you know did stuff for the community and the culture and Uh, he would try to ask people, you know, that he knew that were photographers to come and, you know, get these certain shots of this or that. And sometimes, uh, people couldn't show up, so he went and bought a camera and started shooting it himself. And, um, through that, he fell in love with taking pictures and went, was shooting, like, lowriders and shooting, you know, all kinds of different scenes down there. And then he moved up here and, uh... He stayed down there in Skid Row and started taking pictures of that and um, you know, just went from there into painting and at the point when he gave me the camera, he was kind of burnt out on photography. He was like, Hey man, I'm more into painting, you know. You should you should try this Do out. Do something with it's this cool, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I did and then I think it was like the early two thousands. Uh Shepherd Ferry asked me to do a show at his gallery it was on top of the wiltern theater and obey yeah i wanted to do a show but i didn't want to show my low riding and homies stuff anymore i was kind of burnt out on it and uh it was either early 2000s or late 90s and and uh i go i don't know if i want to do a show of that stuff anymore and he goes well you know that's kind of the stuff i wanted to you know to, to show and i said how about we do a show but it'll be like a father and son show and my dad will show his cool street stuff and i'll show mine and he was like i love that idea you know so then later on we revisited that and we did our own show called like father like son yeah at the carmichael gallery in um cover city and then we did it at uh the carmichael's moved from L.A. to New York, we did a show there, Like Father, Like Son, and then we did another one at the Dax Gallery in Costa Mesa, and that was a cool little run, you know? It's always cool to be able to do stuff with your family. For sure. And especially, I thought it was unique that me and my dad both take pictures of, like, kind of similar. That's what I was going to ask. But not, and then he's still alive you know yeah so like usually it's like you'll see something like that but the father had passed away or something so me i'm all about giving flowers to people while they're here you know like and while they're gone you know i'll keep i'll keep you know people's memory alive as long as i'm here if they're close to me you know so uh, i just thought that'd be a cool project to do with my pops and uh you know we, we've been you know working together for years That's now beautiful. with through photography
0: your, your dad found beauty in dark places yeah and i believe in 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 many ways you know you have been able to 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 do that yourself um would you say your style is similar to his or was 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 it influenced by his
1: um he definitely is like my main influence, but his style is um, shooting from a distance and mine's up in your face. Like he wasn't really, you know, like right there, like within few feet of people. He'd be like across the street. He was more like a, kind of like a documentarian, like that style of photos like he'd just be like it was more like the street scene you know whereas i would go up to a character and say hey, is it cool if i take a picture of you and you know take like a portrait of them yeah so it was the same genres but different approaches
0: would you say that the the photo that you've taken like the la is that your most famous photo? like photo that you've taken you like most known i guess or which one would you say is is the most known photo of yours yeah
1: i would say that one for sure you know it's because uh it's been um it's probably the most like worldwide photo i have out there and the most used and abused and molested photo i have <laughs> and uh you know it's like uh it's a double-edged sword, you know, like yeah. a blessing and a curse. You know, it's like it's been it's done the coolest things for me. And then, like, the most people ripped it off and burned me. And they're like, well, you didn't make up that sign. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I didn't. But I'm the one who fought for it for 25, 30 years with that photo. And I put it worldwide, you know. You know, like people were just doing it. And, in, in, you know, like the and the people that were doing it were like gang members yeah like or or people in like the hip-hop scene or you had to be from la like really living that sh- because there was consequences be- behind it you know Man. like if you're throwing up in la you know what do you it's not like like now you know like people will throw up the name of their companies you know <laughs> like in a photo you know like if they're doing mondo and friends they'll throw up a m and a f you know yeah, like yeah. in a photo like that represents their company. Yeah. But you were throwing up LA to represent your city or the type of culture you're from and there was people that weren't cool with that. You know, you automatically had people that were hating on you. If you're from LA, throwing up in LA, people from up north would be like, Those guys, they're from down there or, or a cop would be like, Oh, they're throwing up a gang sign. Yeah. You know, or another or a gang would be like you know what's he what's he throwing up you know like you know is it a because there's there's different neighborhoods that might have a l and a, a in it right so now it's to the point where you know white kids are throwing it up in different parts of the world yeah you know like h&m made a shirt out of it i think they're from like sweden and they're making an la finger shirt you know or um brandy melville or hot top or uh another store was making it in their shirt and i'm like damn you know like they wouldn't have been doing this if it wasn't in 100 magazines that i that were all about me and about the city where the magazine would say send us 10 of your photos and i would send them that one as one of my photos and that was part of the article every time. And those magazines were from all over the world. Like the yeah. German magazine would be like, yeah, Stefan, you know, we want to do an interview on you. And can you send us 10 pictures? And I would send them that, you know, and 10, nine other ones.
0: When when was that photo taken? And in where was that taken? In 94.
1: Over here, down by the LA River on the other side. In 94? Yeah. So, Wow. you know, like picture i've been pushing that photo this many years all around the world whereas if it was up to just a couple people in la throwing up the sign nobody would really know about it right. you know It'd
0: be How, like, so you do you remember that moment when when you were putting like the photo together and
1: no nah, it was like it was nothing really it was no <laughs> big deal what 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 happened was like most of my photos were like a, like a like a scene, like a scenario, you know, like a car on a corner. I would see like a cool car by like a liquor store, and there'd be somebody by the by the payphone and something like that. So most of the shots that I had were like wide shots, you know, like like pulled back, or they were like close-ups of people, like just a person. And I started getting the magazines back. And looking like, yeah, these are cool pictures that I'm sending them, but it needs to be broken up. So if they're like, you know, send some lowrider pictures. I'd send them like a picture of like a custom dash, like with a custom steering wheel. Yeah. Then I'd send them a picture of the car, um, like a profile view of the car, like the front of the car, and then like a rim. And if they'd say like send pictures of people you shot, I'd send, like, a picture of like, their bell buckle, whatever it said on their bell buckle, like, their neighborhood or whatever, you know, the old school military with the letters or send pictures of, like, you know, people standing with their Cortezes, you know, like, like yeah. that, you know. And then I had that one, so I would send pictures of different, like, low-riding neighborhood shots, and then that would be one of the detail shots. And I noticed that people were, we're really taking a liking to it from other places you know because you're always it seems like when you're like an artist you're always more appreciated outside of where you're where you're doing it yeah so everybody would like that picture they would start putting it on covers of magazines in the 90s wow so uh one of the magazines that first put it up here the first like uh you know had my back was big time magazine it was an old graph magazine and um, they put it on the cover and then it went to magazines abroad you know where they were putting that on the cover and I would be like damn why are they putting up a LA picture on the cover of their magazine in a in a foreign country you know like I was like because it must be that powerful of a shot you know so um
0: back in the 90s too hip-hop culture chicano culture was was blowing up i went to i went to japan in like two thousand six seven yeah and there was a huge 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 chicano low rider culture in, like, Tokyo, in different parts of, of Japan, yeah. Dick, Dickies, yeah. and, like, the whole thing, man, Lokes, like, and this was in the 2000s, or it
1: Yeah, that was, that magazine, um, Fine, they were like the Bible to the youth, and, like, there was some lowriders that would, you know, they've been shipping lowriders over there since the 80s. Yeah, So people are like, you know, like, Vice Magazine will send some millennial to japan it goes guess what they're doing low riding in japan yeah. it's 2020 we are like Where homie you were like not even bored they've been having low riders over here so you know it's cool that it, you know they keep the culture out there and they yeah. have to do it through the youth i get that they have to have a millennial tell the story so that it you know other youth will you know pick up on it but, like, my boy Oishi, he's been shipping lowriders out there for years. I have another friend, Tanaka Shoichi. He was the first one that took our clothing. We had a store on Melrose called Supermax, me and uh, Big Lucky. Cartoon did all the designs. Uh, that We opened that one on 92. We had our own, like, homie store right there, you know, selling Dickies, Cortez's. Cartoon had done, like, ten designs. We were selling you know graffiti cans selling a uh, house of pain and cypress hill merch in there so
0: you know all about greenspan then.
1: yeah yeah. We, yeah we had like a kind of like a greenspan's type of vibe yeah in hollywood on melrose
0: that's dope man yeah. so for those that in don't 92 know, so for those that don't know about greenspan's do you mind uh,
1: greenspan's um i always have my friend josh greenspan tell the story it's about a four-hour story I always say Josh tell me about the tell about your story about Greenspans and it's so a for like for good 4 hour story but i have him do the short version in like 30 minutes but basically Greenspans open i believe in Watts in 1926 i want to say and there was a lot of jewish people in that area and then uh something happened with a... Well, they kept that store, and I think they opened the one on Tweedy in Southgate. Southgate. Yeah, and they ended up closing that one, and then they all they moved everything to Southgate or something like that. And but Greenspans has been around for ninety-five years now, wow. so they're OG, like yeah. for real OG. They had all the old Cascade shirts. Um, for those that don't know, their the bumblebee shirts. They're now called FB County shirts, and then uh, they've been selling, you know, all the cool old school Picos or the the ones with the the fur on the collar, and they're yeah. like wool jackets and uh, all the coolest Dickies, Carhartt, five hundred ones, old school Stacy Adams shoes, the fedora hats. They've they sold suit suits back in the day. Suit suits like anything cool. And old school, Greenspan's was the place to go. So we love what they were doing so much, but there were, you know, you had to go to like Bell, uh, the store over there off of uh, Figueroa, and right there by the stadium. Yep, yep. Um, there was a store there that had like, you know, it was kind of like a swap meat store. And then there was uh, Greenspan's, and there was, you know, different swap meat slots and that kind of stuff where you can go get your tees, your tank shops, your uh, Cortez, your Dickies, your 501's. But there wasn't really too many of those places over here. Yeah. So we opened a store called Supermax, and that's how that started. Well, my boy Tanaka Shoichi, that he's, you know, one of our Soul Assassin crew from Japan he came over in 92 and was taking our stuff over there then me and big lucky started uh not guilty clothing in 94 then we got joker in 95 and he was shipping all those clothes out there back then so we've been out in japan since 92 and my first trip to japan was with house of pain to do a show so you know, our whole culture's been out there way before that, but, you know, we did a good little push out there with our stuff.
0: When you went back in 92, were you already seeing, like, LA culture being reflected in, in Japan?
1: A little bit. Not so much. But by the time we started doing our article, Low Life in 94, it started picking up. Like, we are in, um... We were in there with Supermax in 92, uh... Back then, the clothing lines were like uh, Fresh Jive, Con Art, uh, Tribal, and and Supermax, you know, were going in those years, and we were the ones that were in the fine magazine before, so like in 94, everything was on, you know, uh, everything, the ball was rolling already, and that's when we started putting in the lowriders in the magazine, and had this cool little thing at the end of the magazine they made like these cassette tape covers they'd put four on a page and they used to I used to get excited when they'd put my uh my photos on the covers of those like people made their own mixtapes yeah they'd cut out the the cover from the fine magazine and put it in their cassette so I was like damn that's pretty cool
0: speaking of low riders i've heard you say i am a low rider can you yeah. tell me a little bit about
1: that? Yeah, I've invested thousands and thousands of dollars, real blood, real sweat, real tears, into lowriding. And uh gotten a lot of, you know, fights with my family over it. And, you know, I've made it a priority sometimes when I shouldn't have, you know. But that was what I was doing, you know. I'm a lowrider, so I was like, sorry, you know can't get that because the car got to get this you know so you know with like in our car club we used to have a saying you know the chrome bill before the phone bill <laughs> meaning like you know the car comes first like everything else so you know there was a lot of divorces in our car club and a lot of uh, you know family issues in our club but it was fun man and i wouldn't change you know nothing
0: Like they s- say no regrets And you still, you still, you're still about that life. Like I I heard that you still roll through, you know, all over LA. I'll
1: be at the Hot Wheel car show on Saturday. Oh, nice. With the car that I bought in '89. So I'm still doing it.
0: What's your most, might be a difficult question, but what's your most precious lowrider that you have?
1: It has to be that one. You know, it's called Blue Velvet. It's a, it's a blue. 19 four, 1964 Chevy Impala SS, and um, you know I've I've redone it maybe four or five times. Completely new paint, new interior, new stereo, new hydraulics. I'm just redid it again. Put some um, disc brakes, uh, fuel injection, new stereo again, new interior, and um, you know it's a constant. Uh, work in progress and it's like it's a piece of art that's rolling around that represents you you know you curated everything like yeah i don't turn every single wrench or i'm not the one welding the frame for the hydraulics or making rims or anything like that or painting it but i'm the curator of it you know i picked this guy to do the interior i picked this guy to paint it i drove the car there i drove these parts here i drove the car there not to mention I had to make all the money to do all that, but you know it's a nightmare, like low riding is probably one of my biggest nightmares in my life shit that goes on with these cars like I just went took another one up uh to Palm desert like a week two weeks ago, and the car didn't start it was on the it was on the grass laid on the floor, yeah, and the uh it was on a golf course they wanted us to show these cars on a golf course so this car was laid on the floor and it wouldn't start and the sprinklers turned on oh. So i'd spend like two hundred dollars getting somebody to detail it put it on a lift scrubbing it with a toothbrush and the sprinklers turned on and shit on my whole detailing then we had a it was on a golf course so we couldn't get the tow truck in there to flatbed at home so i had to get my truck and these straps and we had to do all this shenanigans and that was like we're like oh cool man that only took five hours like (laughs) we changed the coil we put gas in it and all that crap and then ended up having to tow it out of there with my real my my work truck to the tow truck to take it home and i'm thinking like okay it's 12 o'clock, oh, there's no restaurants, we haven't eaten since breakfast, you know, another day of low riding, <laughs> and uh, the, the, the room service was going to close in five minutes, we hurried up and ate, went to bed, we were exhausted from two days of dealing with the low riding crap, and uh, I get five texts from the tow truck driver on the, when I wake up, and I was like, this isn't good. There's no way Yeah. something happened. I look, and there it is, the five photos. Hey, man, sorry, but, you know, it wasn't my fault. And I'm looking at it, and the visor, of because it was a bomb, it was a 48 fleet line. The visor, I guess because of the way it was on the tow truck, the visor was straight up, you know, because the, the car oh, was at yeah, a yeah. bend. So it wasn't like this. The visor was like that. So the wind was hitting it. like, oh. And you know driving from Palm Springs to L.A.? I bet. There's the those sections where the freeway gets super windy. I guess the wind had caught the visor and blew no. it off. But it blew off only one side. So it was just blowing around and, like, hitting the car. Like, you know, it was stuck on one side, and it was just blowing around. Hit the hood. Hit the fender. Hit the roof. Oh. Hit the door. Hit the other door. I'm like, I can't get a Can break, you know, so that's what I mean when I say, What was the damage on that? I can't even look at it, I'm so sick, (laughs) you know. Like, I looked at it, I was like, Okay, I'll deal with this in a couple weeks, like, I don't even want to get depressed right now, you know. So, I was like, That's when you say I'm a lowrider, like, I didn't buy a lowrider in the car shop where I have a lowrider, or I didn't, you know, just buy it in. Turn key and just drive it home like i really put a lot in the cars like way more than that it's worth you know but if you are a lowrider that's what you do you get you know sucked in you get you're deep in there and you feel it every time like something happens you're like welcome to lowriding you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. like people don't know yeah they think we're just driving these cars around like, you know, like you can go buy a Lamborghini. Yep. You turn the key and you drive off and you're cool. Your hair's blowing in the wind and everybody's <laughs> giving you a thumbs up. But, you know, you had to earn that 300 to a million dollars to have that car.
0: Man.
1: But we get the same attention as those cars when we're on the street because we have one of ones. But people don't know, yeah, we didn't spend 300 grand on it or up to a million whatever but we put that in through blood sweat and tears yeah you know so that's where that comes from
0: there's a lot of celebrities that are into low riding is there one that you think respects the low riding culture the um, best in, in in your eyes
1: well definitely Snoop Dogg respects it and he knows it he's been doing it for years Mac 10 is one of the first ones that i know in my camp of course B real and and mugs and sin have all had low riders yeah. so they go without saying i'm talking about outside people that i'm not on the daily basis with b was in our car club he had a 57 bel air uh, he had a 65 Ragtop. he has a he has a cadillac now and a glass house now that he does a smoke box in so he's he's in it you know and uh sin back in the day had a a Regal, like a 85 or 86 Regal. It was red. And then uh, Muggs has had um, a 63 Rag and um, something else. I can't remember every all these cars we've had. But in our crew, we've had lowriders since, since the gate. But Mac-10 was one of the first rappers that I've seen that wasn't outside of our crew that wasn't renting a car and he knew how to hit the switch yeah from the door he'd get back bumper and like i did i was doing a you know a thing for our magazine a lowrider piece and i and i hit him up and i was like hey you know can we see you hit the switch and he grabbed the door and started hitting that like within a couple legs he you know back bumpered it i was like damn get down mac 10 you know I was like, <laughs> that's right so he was one of the, the first ones that i seen that wasn't renting lowriders because yeah. to me if in the 90s all those dudes that were in lowriders they were mostly rasa cars that were rented for the videos you know and oh. i thought like man that fool should be they're they're rap stars they should be having their own cars why don't they yeah. you know like this is l.a they're riding, they're singing and rapping about driving around in a Lolo, but they don't own one. They're <laughs> renting it from the homie, you know. Like it didn't make no sense to me. But when I seen like Mac Ten out there, and then Snoop started buying Rise, and you know, even now to where the younger generation has them like Ty Dolla yep. YG, um, uh, Schoolie, Schoolboy q has one yeah and then uh dj mustard has one
0: yep and uh i know the late kobe bryant yeah kobe bryant had one he had one
1: so there is some people that are in the so-called you know in the industry that have lowriders which is great you know
0: did you ever see kobe in his lowrider
1: never i never saw him in it but i saw the car um yeah, I never got to see him in it. But I'm coming out with a book on low riding. It's like twenty five years of low writing worldwide and it's all my photos from all over the world. Every time I've ever incorporated a low writer in a photo shoot that wasn't about low riding, that I wanted to expand low writing in different genres and in different countries and stuff like that. So I'm gonna have all that in the book. All the low riding within my fan, within my own family, within my car club family. And, you know, just being out in the streets, Whittier Boulevard, Hollywood Boulevard, Crenshaw, all that type of stuff. All the car shows in Elysian Park. Um of course Azalea Festival. Oh yeah. You know, that was one of my favorite car shows.
0: Azalea and Southgate, yep. yeah.
1: Yeah, the super shows of course, when it was on a cracking in the nineties. So that's going to be that book.
0: When, do, does that book have a name yet?
1: Uh, I think I'm just going to call it Lowriding Worldwide.
0: Do, do we have a, an approximate release date?
1: Um, the f- I have two books coming out before that, which one is on tour, which is, you know, me on tour with Cypress Hill and all that because I'm doing a documentary with them for Showtime that's oh, supposed yes. to come out on 420. I heard. So I want to have a book around that time to, you know, shoot out with that movie. And I also have L.A. Woman 2. My first book was uh, L.A. Woman. And that book sold out in, like, two years. And everybody loved that book. And they keep asking me to reprint it, but I'm like, I still have enough photo shoots of women where I could do a whole new one. Yeah. So kind of like you slept on the first one. Sucks for you, but <laughs> I got something for you and then the, the touring book, and then the low-writings after that, so.
0: How many books have you released now?
1: Uh, published five books right now. To, five books. To this day, yeah. It's uh, L.A. Woman, L.A. Portraits, uh, 1979, which is a basketball book I did with Adidas. Then uh, this is Los Angeles. And uh, the one I was signing, I was late today because I was signing 250 books. It was uh it's called Bosozoku. It's on uh, Japanese Japanese motorcycle, you know, cruise. So I'm up to five solo books, but I've been in maybe 15 more, like group books.
0: That book released this year, Japanese biker gangs. Yeah. What What can you tell me about that book?
1: That book, uh. When I went out to Japan um, with the House of Pain, yeah. I met a photo agent there. He's from Australia. His name was Peter. He had a company called August, and they represented all the big photographers in Tokyo. And somebody told me, "Hey, you should, you know, invite my friend to the show. He's real cool, and maybe he could help you with your photography." And I was like, "Yeah, okay." So he goes take some pictures so back then they had these things called portfolios and it was like a book that i had made like 40 prints at the photo lab and i took this book and i showed it to him and he was like hey man you know i would like to try to represent you over here and be like your photo rep and i was like great you know like if i can get some work outside of tour managing as a photographer." on my time off that'd be great so he got me some jobs and uh in japan i would call him up and say hey peter you know i want to come to japan for like a month and he'd go okay and he would set up to where he would just start getting me album covers magazines video shoots like um campaigns for clothing brands and i'd come home with you know a couple stacks i'd be happy and then uh you know, I would take out music groups that we'd work out there with and get them shows, you know, like little independent shows and put them on. So now they're international, you know, rap groups instead of just here. And then um, we did our first art show, Me and Cartoon, in Harajuku on uh, a cross street from Kittyland in Japan. I think it was 97. Wow. It was called uh, Sex, Money, and Murder. And it had like all the cartoons artwork and my photos um and that was like one of the one of the things that we did with with peter and then while i was out there one time he saw like you know what we're into with the low riding he goes hey there's these bikers out here that they're kind of like biker gangs like crews of you know from different parts of the city and they customize bikes kind of like you guys do low riders would you want to shoot that i go yeah so i didn't know what i was getting myself into but he was like we just drive around and they come out on the weekends and there's like you know anywhere from 20 to 100 to maybe more of them and they just drive around the city and the cops chase them and And the cops chase them yeah and so i was like well that sounds cool (laughs) you know that and he was like you know the bikes are a lot like the cars they have the big flake paint jobs They have the um, pinstriping, they have murals, and they customize them, kind of like you guys do. Like, they customize the seats, like, you know, so they're doing their own interior. They're doing their color combinations on the bikes with, you know, pinstriping and murals on the gas tanks or murals on the side plates and murals on the helmets even. They make the helmets match the paint job on the bikes. I was like, damn, that sounds crazy. So sure enough, we went out one night and we saw them you know because there's no like back then there's no internet so you couldn't see like a flyer like hey we'll be driving around all these different neighborhoods you might catch us at this one light at this <laughs> one time you know there wasn't none of that so you just drove around and you might see one bike and follow him and then he leads you to the pack and that's what we did we went there we caught up with a crew and they they took us around they loved it there well they seen like me hanging out of the window taking pictures of them. And they're like yeah come on you know they're like you know follow us so nice. we followed them and the cop came and the cop was you know chasing them and they're laughing away and i was taking pictures of all that and they're riding wheelies and oh like, this is dope and then one of the guys invited us to his house i took pictures of him and his pad and then they invited us on a Another time I went, they invited us to uh, Mount Fuji. They rode from Tokyo to the top of Mount Fuji. Wow. And there was snow up there. So we went through like a nice sunny day up this mountain into the snow wow. and did some stops. And then I went back again. And a friend of mine uh, in Sendai, you know, which is up north, he took us to this event where there's about 500 of them. And then I went back again two more times. And we shot some more, you know, later on, like 2017, 2018. And I had done a zine with my friend Brian, who does uh, books. It's called uh, Kill Your Idols. He did a book, a zine of the Bosoku. And he just loved the project so much. He's like, hey, man, can we do a book on this? And I was like, yeah, if you think it'll work. Cause to me it's like once you put something out, it's out. You know, like nobody's gonna want to see it anymore. So we put the Zine out and it sold out. And he's like, "I want to do a book of it." I'm like, okay. And he put it together and it came out sick. You know, so you know that's that's my latest drop and it's pretty it's pretty dope.
0: Yeah, man. I need to pick that up. Yeah, that's it cool, came man. out. What I love about your work and the books that that you put out, it's not just something that you shoot. I don't know, like like some photographers will shoot like for a month to sh- to put yeah. out a book. These like, are all twenty years. Yeah, plus. yeah. And and yeah, for the photos can go back to twenty years, but it's it, it also um, it it's photos that have lived for twenty, ten, maybe five years, like, yeah, up to, up, like, so it's, it's like a catalog that you're yeah, putting I
1: think, out, I think that's important with books, you know, it's like, it's like the, I think that's like, kind of like, goes with the integrity, for me, it's like, the integrity of the book culture is like, to have like, an archive, you know, otherwise, it's just like, like, I have, like, I went to Afghanistan for three days, And I shot all around in the streets in Afghanistan. And I shot in a prison in there. And I shot where the first war came through from the Russians and the Al-Qaeda. Yeah. I shot in the valley there. It's called Panjshir Valley. So in three days, I have enough for three books of Afghanistan. But to me, I think it's disrespectful to the book culture. I don't know why. I just have this weird feeling. But i think it's disrespectful to the book culture to put out a book of like like say i went to the prison in afghanistan like i would feel weird putting out a hardcover book of one day of shooting Mm. i don't know why it just is a weird thing to me but i don't have a problem putting out a zine of that you know like a not a magazine not a book something in the middle But good quality, it still is like, you know, still printed, still paper, still good quality. But it's not quite a hardcover book that, you know, not a history book. Just a little slice of my life, you know? Yeah. So there's things like that that I still want to do.
0: If you can go back 20 years and give yourself advice, a a younger version of Esteban Oriol, what would he tell him?
1: I would say uh, do everything more. Like do more, uh party more, have more fun, shoot more, go more places, do more, you know, everything more. Get more money, you know, like everything. You know, like I kind of was just like floating around, like just going with the flow, kind of, and I wasn't, like, pushing myself like I do now. Like, I would have been healthier more. I wouldn't have been a fat pig, you know, all the years. Like, I, for years, I was just abusing myself, you know, my body just putting poison in me, you know, eating junk food, going and eating a, at the hat, getting a pastrami double burger <laughs> with the bottom buns like that the top buns like that so yeah. there's things like and like that with a bag of french fries that's living or, too right that's what <laughs> they say right so there's chili fries in this boat that comes up to like here yeah so you got this burger like that the chili fries like that and a 40 ouncer of coke or orange bang i would say less that yeah you know that's the only thing i wouldn't do more of but I was just poisoning myself, giving me, and now I have these medical issues that I uh, suffer from, you know. I'm in pain. I have all these things, you know, up on my body and my health, and that's what I would have told myself 20 years ago. It's like, eat healthier, be healthier, and be more of a savage, At at you know, that you love to do.
0: I know you have a, a group of, of creatives, including your son, uh, creatives that are constantly around you, what advice do you give them?
1: I tell them uh, there is an I in team. It's right in the middle. (laughs) The top is the dot, and the bottom, there's the I. No, I I tell them, you know, work harder than everybody else you know, get up before them, go to bed later then, like, just be a savage, you know? Like, every morning, we have like a routine. We have, I, one of the best things I ever bought was a sauna. I put it in my backyard, and we hit the sauna every day, we hit the ice plunge every, you know, we do three cycles, 20 minutes in the sauna, three minutes in the ice, and we do that three times, and there's like five or six of us that go every day, and Sometimes, you know, we get, like, people, guests and stuff, and they come. They only last one time. So. <laughs> but, you know, that's how we start our morning every day. That's like our church. We go in there you know, sweat to, you know, 175 to 200-degree weather and then d- dive in freezing water. And Can you then do that how many times? Like three, three times. Three times? Yeah, 20 minutes in the heat three minutes in the ice and we do that three times then we go to work wow go and do the warehouse work shipping merch and stuff like that running around errands you know and uh working on the documentary working on the books working on campaigns that i'm working with with different companies so you know we have a full schedule but you know it's your team that keeps pushing you you know like even if they're like, you know, they say you're only as strong as your weakest link. Like, even the weakest link pushes you because you're like, you got to carry his weight, you yeah. know? Or you got to be like, okay, I'm glad I'm not, you know, slacking like this dude. I'm, you know, it makes me go harder. You know, if I see somebody like slacking, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, that's how you want to do it. Well, cool. And I'm going to go, I have to go twice as hard, but I'm good with that i have no problem doing that you know so i like uh i like to look at like um david goggins and like have you ever ever heard of him yep yep yeah like i like to watch his i like to watch this guy uh dan pena from east la you've seen him
0: no dan pena no he's dope he's like
1: i think he's a trillionaire or billionaire
0: wow
1: from east la and he says like uh being successful is like being pregnant nobody knows how many times you before you got to that point and i just love like those philosophies you know
0: yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah you know being uh from los angeles uh myself as well um you know throughout grade school they tell us go to school do your homework. Uh, you know, go to college, and eventually get a job, right? Entrepreneurship isn't something that they teach us, especially in the Latino community. How did you learn entrepreneurship, and, and where were you influenced from?
1: My, uh, I would say my mom was always pushing me to work hard. She pretty much didn't tell me to go to college she was like you know it's just me and my mom my dad was doing his own thing and he just was kind of just like cruising you know my mom was like you know it's just me and you we got to get these bills paid we were on welfare we had medi-cal food stamps and all that and i seen all that struggle and i wasn't with that you know i was like call this you know i'm not trying to do all this my whole life like She would get all these credit cards and pay like $10 on this one, $10 on that one. And it was always like stress, you know. I was like, I need to make, I need to do more, you know. Make more money, you know, more money, less problems. And I just was like, if we can get a little bit of extra and we can get a little bit ahead, my mom won't have to stress so much. So I'd go out and do side jobs and, you know, work during the summers as a kid. And I would i I started like thinking of different ways to do, and I'd start flipping cars, you know um like I would buy a car for like five hundred bucks, sell it for eight hundred, go buy eight hundred dollar car, sell that one for twelve hundred you know, I just started learning these little things that I could little hustles I could do, did some other type of hustles that weren't so great. you can get in trouble for those, but I was just like, you know i need to I need to do something you know and when I would help my mom out, I would see how happy she would be. Like, you just see the stress would come off of her. And I was like, man, this, is, this makes me feel good. Like, working hard, getting paid for it is a great feeling. But then if you can see how you can affect somebody else when you're helping them, that's a good feeling. You know? So I was always, like, trying to help out moms, you know? And it was, it was cool, you know? So I think that's where that, that started. You know, came natural young kid yeah yeah
0: came natural naturally
1: yeah because i was learning how to you know flip different stuff all these times and then you know we took every all that knowledge and started doing it with clothing and you know flipping t-shirts and then flipping like uh you know my photos you know onto like the way i would do it with the the people from magazines since mm-hmm. i was a tour manager the record label would send me a fax the day before and say, hey, this is the press for tomorrow. And there would be like four, four press interviews for the band. Yeah. So they would say, you know, just let the guys do it in an hour. Don't torture them, have them doing an hour-long interviews because they still got a show to do. So we'd go to sound soundcheck, do, a ha- do an hour of press, eat dinner, chill, do the show, break down, and either stay that night in that city or go to the next city on the bus. So for four interviews in an hour, that's 15 minutes each. Well, the writer would always sit there and talk away and take up most of the interview, and I would see the photographer struggling trying to get, like, okay, this interview, this this thing is like a 10-page thing for this magazine, so I need to have 10 different pictures, and I have five minutes to do it because this was talking for 10 minutes. So... They'd go and try and shoot, like, okay, stand here, stand here, and get all these angles and get detail shots and do all this and that, like trying to, you know, knock out some classic because those pictures last forever. And I would tell the guys from the magazine, hey, if you want, I I took some pictures of them on stage and backstage and like that if you ever want to use them. And they're like, yeah, yeah, okay. But some people would be like, oh, yeah, let me see them. And I had a little booklet with some photos that I made at the one-hour photo. And they're like, you took these? And I go, yeah. And they go, hey, these are pretty good. Can we use them? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And they go, you know, we'll give you $500 bucks and for the usage fee. And you can only use them for three months after that. And then you can syndicate them to other magazines. So I was like, okay, 500 bucks. And what was it called again? And they go, usage fee. And I go, oh, okay. Huh. And then... Three months, they're locked up with just your magazine, and then what happens? They go, then you can syndicate them. You can sell them to other magazines, and I was like, okay. And then what happens? And they go, well, then, you know, after they get out of that three month, you know, hold, then you can syndicate them to, or you can syndicate them to different countries at the same time because they're not magazines not going to be seen in that area. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'll do this photo shoot for this magazine syndicated to Japan, Germany, Australia. The people that were buying our clothes, wow. they knew people at magazines in those cities. So I'd be like, hey, who's a hip-hop magazine in Berlin? Who's the hip-hop magazine in Sydney? And I would just start shipping my photos out to these cities and, you know, making side money. And then I learned all the terminology from listening to them. So I'd be like, hey, what's the usage fee, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah. And
1: how long do you guys get hold the magazine up you know those photos up you know i want to syndicate my photos to you and i started like flipping that little hustle and it took off and then i would tell the record label because i was a tour manager i would see everything that came through like the video how much the budget was how much the director got how much the cameraman got how much the 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 pa the craft service people everybody i saw the whole budget i saw how they'd come through with the treatment i would see the album cover budget the layout budget the logo budget and so when it came time to where i got good enough at photos i'd pitch to the band first the hey homies can i do the, fo- the album cover we have little lucky could do the layout we have cartoon that could do the logo they're like yeah go for it so then i'd tell the label, They'd be like, "Yeah, you got this tour coming." Hey, yeah, cool. And uh, by the way, the guys want me, cartoon, and little lucky to do the album cover packaging. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, what do you mean? That's what we mean. <laughs> do you want to? You want to talk to mugs or or be real with them, or you want to just you know hear it from me? Cause I'll call them right now. Then no, oh, no, no. Okay, well, you know, let's let's see what we can do. And now we're getting those budgets for the photo shoot, the the logo, and the layout design, and then. We went to video so then like you know now i'm now i got the budgets down with all the terminology with album packaging and all the the budgets and terminology with the video world so now i just started putting myself out there yeah. like a little but i didn't want to be the sunset boulevard i wanted to be like the heidi fleiss you know yeah, i'm trying yeah. to get some money out of this thing yeah, yeah. and um yeah, that's what—that's how it all entrepreneurs should happen, you know. Yeah.
0: Now I, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, young Latinos and just creatives overall looking at you, looking at what you've done with, with your career and your legacy and what you're doing now. Yeah. There's, I feel like this this, this struggle that happens with creatives. Whether man, like I don't know if I should. Like, do this full-time, you know, I, like, balancing a, 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 a full-time job and then, like, their creative job. And they're like, should I make that leap? What, what advice do you have for, for them?
1: They're about 20 years too late for what I could tell them. Like, I can't tell them, okay, make a portfolio, go to the photo lab and make 80 prints that cost, you know, 40 bucks each. And then you make a portfolio and then go to editors of magazines and sit in their office on open open uh, interview day. Yeah. And hopefully you get in there to meet the editor and hopefully they like your picture and hopefully you get picked to be in the magazine and then you'll get paid on those magazines. Or you can do the same with record labels and hopefully you'll get an album cover. There's no more photo labs, there's no more magazines and there's no more album covers and people don't give a anymore like you look back at the old school album covers people cared yeah now they don't give like they'll put the worst picture i know like the top rapper in the world yeah. has like the worst photo ever on his album cover yeah yeah and it's shout like, out to drake you know <laughs> it's like the best you know grammy award-winning you know albums yeah but the artwork ain't you know the artwork isn't you know it
0: almost seems like the worst the album cover is the worst is the out the them. best
1: yeah <laughs> i don't get that you know like i don't i mean to me like i know like millionaire kids that their dads want the best for them and and they would pay top prices to the best artist the best video director the biggest and best photographer in the world because they would want their son to have the best shit out there. And their son goes to their homie and has them do the shit on an iPhone. And it's like, homie, you're a million, 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 millionaire. You're going to die with millions of dollars in your bank. So why not spend some of that money and get some dope that's like classic, sick, that just outstand time it's so great they're like hey you know i want you to do a video for me i'm like oh yeah okay what's a budget well before we get into that check out this video that i did myself on my iphone and i'm like okay and they show me the video i'm like watching it tortured it's like (laughs) somebody taking my fingernails off with a pair of pliers and they're like um what do you think and i go how much did you say that was? And they said, it was free. I did it myself. I go, that's, that's what it looked like. Yeah. You know, like no disrespect. You get what you pay for. Yeah. Uh. that It looked like you did on the phone for free. Yeah. If you want some real, you know, we need to get back to that part where we talk about a budget and we use a real camera, not the one that you can buy at Best Buy with a credit card. We get the real, top dog cameras we get a cameraman get an editor not like you know the kids now they they do the video they they put some filters on it make it look like old school film they edit it themselves on their laptop and they put it out and they'll do it for like i think i saw one thing that was like 200 bucks 500 bucks and i'm like you killed the game i can't tell a kid what to do no more because there's no more the money, cause you went and did everything for dirt cheap, to where nobody can make a living at it no more. How the fuck can you make a living? You going to do what a, a music video every single day for 500 bucks a day, five days a week, make 2,500 bucks a mo- a week, 10 grand a month? Killing yourself working because everybody does it for free or for cheap. Yeah, and they advertise it on Instagram. I can do your video if you want lowriders girls effects it costs 350 <laughs> if you want to you know where we shoot it with a green screen yeah, where you have a in your own private jet and all this other 500 that's the deluxe package i'm like damn we couldn't do a video for less than 25 grand back in the day yeah but we'd have 20 people on the crew and we were shooting it with film and you could tell the difference you could see it yeah you know and uh you don't really see that anymore. Like the other day, I saw a video with a huge, huge star. The video was like 180,000, with the biggest entertainer in the world, and they spent 180 grand on a video with him in it. That's crazy. And that blew my mind.
0: Because it was,
1: it, uh, so he not- could have put out a million dollars that right. he wouldn't even know that he lost. He probably drops that out of his pocket when he gets out of the car and could have had the movie director do that and just be like hey francis ford coppola here's a million dollars can you do my music video for me and make it look like a cinematic and off the chain you know music video or we give this guy you know we we torture him and give him the least amount of money to make this thing it's like it's hard to give kids a the the advice or whatever because i came from a different era yeah and i'm having to learn how to stay relevant and stay making money because now i have that i have to pay for i don't live on the couch and you know my mom and dad aren't paying my bills
0: right
1: so it's a different game you know and people think like that i just have like you know money trees in my backyard and and I'm just chilling the fresh way every day, but I'm grinding from 7.30 in the morning till 12, maybe later at night. Wow. Every day. Wow. And just to, you know, stay afloat and be comfortable. But, um, you know, I love it. Yeah. I love what I do, you know, so I'm a... That's the beauty of it. Yeah, that's the greatest part about it is I don't... You know, I have to compromise because sometimes I work with brands and companies and they want a certain way they're like we want latinx we want a millennial we want um authentic organic and what's the other word narrative. we want a you know the narrative for our platform and this and that and all this bullshit. and then like they get you to where you're like yeah they finally one of these companies or these brands gets it it's going to be latinx which means chicano it's going to be uh, authentic, organic, and it's, we're going to be able to do all this cool with the narratives and the platforms. And then you get the you get on the job, and they're like, um, you try, you're try you trying to tell them, like, hey, this is organic and this is authentic. We're like, we love that, but <laughs> we kind of want to go with this narrative for our platform. And it's like, basically, it's like all that they want to do they just wanted to have you on the team and then they're like you know what you what you think you yeah know? yeah so you have to learn how to just be like okay all right yeah cool and they're like what do you think of this and you're like it's great love it you know <laughs> but you're just going with the flow you yeah. know until yeah. you can do your own sh- something that you love and you you know passion projects for you but you're also getting paid for them so it's it's a different world now from the 25 30 years ago i started and i don't know it all so that's why i couldn't tell somebody what to do you know yeah. like, this is how you do it this is the recipe i'm learning every day
0: yeah you you have i know you have a, a group uh, and and like young creatives on 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 part of your your team yeah i'm sure they learn from you and and you're learning from them Almost. yeah
1: i don't know at all you know i have to tell them hey who's this who's that you know what do these guys do you know like what what's a cool hot young brand out right now what are they doing and then i'll look at it and I'll, some of it i'll be like mm, they're like yeah it's hot right now i'll be like Man, can i do that you know can i can i put myself in that you know in that world yeah and some of it just isn't me you know it's not like i have a certain way i've been doing it all my life and i just can't do it you know sorry you know but i gotta keep it old school and then sometimes you know we got to go with the flow
0: now this next section of the program is sponsored by verizon 5g it's 5g built right from the network more people rely on 5g ultra wideband is available in parts of select cities and 5g nationwide is available in 2700 plus cities speaking of 5g I want to talk a little bit about tech. Esteban, what role would you say tech plays in your life and your career today?
1: I would say get some uh, people who know better than you and that can do it and put them on the team. You know, that's like I can't do all that. So yeah. I, I don't have time to learn all that. I'll go get us the work and get it to where we can – like, I could probably go and learn all that and take that time, but then I wouldn't have time to go and get all the work right? and do it. Right. That's fun so like, though. You, I'll you, go get all the work, and I'll do the work, and then you do that part, you do that part, and you do that part. And, and but I, we're, do, I do what I do. Yeah, right. but we're making enough money to where we can all live. Bright bread, yeah. Yeah, and it's cool. You know, I don't want to sit there and be staring at a computer, you know. I like to be out in the streets and seeing people and you know i like seeing life you know going going on and like editing a video is like watching paint dry it's <laughs> worse you know it's like that's just torture shout out to everybody that ever edited anything in their yeah, life shout
0: out to fred right here
1: shout out to fred man god bless everybody that's like fred because that's just straight torture you know and I don't know how they do it. Like I, I'm i sitting there, and they're like, you're like, hey, can you put that one shot in there? You know, take that shot out and put that shot in there. Like, yeah, yeah, no problem. They're like, click, 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 click. Dragging it out, and they're rendering this, and then going and getting this clip, and rendering that, and doing this, and then putting the music to where it fits right, and putting the vocals to where it fits perfect. And you're just like, man, like got <laughs> half an hour just to move two seconds <laughs>
0: or more <laughs> yeah like maybe an
1: hour to move a two second piece out to put another two second piece out because the guy might have been closing his eyes or looking the wrong way yeah and yeah. you wanted that other shot to where he's looking that way and his eyes are open and you're like, man i don't ever want to do that I, I i almost wouldn't wish that on my enemies <laughs> but i love those guys you know Yeah, like people are like how come you don't edit yourself i'm like F- that man those guys are their own thing they're their own animal yeah like like people are like how come you don't print your own photos in your own dark room don't you think that'd be cool i go yeah if i had another hundred years for my life <laughs> that'd be great but i don't you know and those guys are artists themselves yeah. like editors are artists period photo guys that print photos they're another kind of artist there's like you know it's all for the same sh- but everybody's their own right. thing and there's some you know i'm they a photographer credit yeah the yeah definitely i put all the credit every time i do something like the camera guy the guy who helps me the the editor everybody gets credit you know because it, it took a team to do that yeah you know it might say director me or you know shot by me but there was you know other people that helped that to go down everybody gets their credit
0: now this next section of the program is sponsored by verizon verizon has partnered up with Oi health to offer discounts and savings on telehealth services in the idioma for customers and their families and as you guys know health not just physical health but mental health is also very important so for this next question i want to highlight mental health in nuestra comunidad. Esteban, what are you currently doing to take care of your mental health?
1: I just get it done. You know, like every time I see a project get finished is when I feel like less stress. Like, okay, that one's done. There goes that one. That's cool. Now we only have 20 more to do. Yeah. And then like as things get done and things you get accomplishments. Them out. yeah you're crossing them out you're like oh man that's great that felt good like like that's cool man you know like we did that you know like every collaboration i do and stressful all the way up until the time of the event of the collaboration and then you see people wearing it and it sells out and you're like yeah we did that and then it's on to the next one you know but that's kind of I mean, low riding takes away some of the stress until you get a flat tire and you have to call a flatbed at 1 in the morning, trying to find one, you know, that's willing to come and flatbed your car for a couple hundred bucks. But up until then, it's stress relief. Riding my, I have two Harleys, and just go riding those down down the coast or down the freeway, that, that releases some stress. Working out used to be a stress reliever. Being but, in the
0: sauna and, and all that. Yeah, that bad?
1: for sure is a stress reliever, but it's also stressful, you know, like going into two hundred degree weather is like shocks your body and it stresses it out, like kind of panics it. So that's why you start busting a sweat. Then you're diving into, you know, freezing ice, you know, you're shocking your body again and you know, stresses your body out, like what the hell's going on? Your <laughs> heart's beating hundred miles an hour but in your head you know like okay just breathe relax you know you're not gonna die just let the process happen and and it's cool you know like every time somebody like i've seen like the most hardcore come and they jump in the ice and these are guys that are like been in prison and been on level four yards and you know making their own fileros and you know yeah. going and rising and they jump in this ice and they're like, whoo, whoo, whoo. <laughs> flipping out i'm like hey homie like come on man you're a fucking warrior like yeah, kick yeah. back you know just it's breathe mental. it out yeah you have to you know you have to uh you know it's it's in the mind you know yeah. you have to the same way you know you'd go into other any other situation you psych yourself up and you you get yourself through it is the same way you do that. But I've seen, like, people jump out of it with no hands, you know? Like, jump out of a ice-cold pool with no hands.
0: Man. Because
1: it's so cold and, like, you know, they go and, they like, they panic and they start, like, um, having, like, body shakes and shit like that. Yeah. And you just got to talk them through it. Like, hey, relax, you know? Breathe through it. Like, take a deep breath through your nose, you know? Breathe out, you know? You're going to... You're going to, you got this, you know. And Some of the people like jump out and then they get back in. You know, They're like, oh, man, I couldn't take it. You know, I go, okay, well, we're all waiting for you, you know. Yeah. As soon as you get back in there and finish your three minutes and we can all get in and, you know, finish the cycle. And they're like, oh, okay. They get, you know, some people get back in. You know, you got to kind of walk people through it or they just are like, i can't do it okay cool you know no pressure you know you can't uh, judge nobody or you know just because they can't do something you can't do you know
0: yeah like, yeah No, that's not man so three minutes in ice cold and then 20 minutes in the sauna but you start with the sauna first
1: yeah or if you show up late you get to go in the ice first
0: <laughs> i'll make little, sure to be on time that's our little <laughs> punishment Uh, All right, lastly, uh, Esteban, we have Rapid Fire with Esteban Oriel. I hope you're ready for this. It's going to be fun. Lowriders or photography?
1: Uh, Photography.
0: Favorite Spanish word? Hmm
1: i can't say on it here
0: <laughs> it's funny because as soon as I, heard, I saw you smile i was like yeah right. <laughs> yeah i would say
1: uh my favorite spanish word would be uh tacos
0: tacos <laughs> i dig that one favorite oldies or mariachi oldies what piece of tech do you use the most today
1: Uh you mean like uh
0: like a computer, laptop. Oh, my phone. Uh, your phone? Yeah, your phone. Favorite Latino food dish?
1: Um, It, it goes in and out, but the favorite one my, my nana used to make was sopa fideo. Oh,
0: sopa like, fideo. Yeah, she higher. killed
1: it with that. And then she'd make, like my, my nana would always make, a, every time you ate a tortilla at her house, she made it so she'd be there like rolling the the flour ball together. Yeah. Put some flour on the wood on the cutting board and she'd roll it out with a wooden pin and put it right on the 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 heater right there. It was like nobody could do it like her. You know, that's how I felt. And um she makes some sopa fideo that just have you stuck, you know. I've had my I've had her make sopa fideo for me or my other family members my tias and my cousins would get so burned out and so jealous (laughs) that my tia would make me my own sopa fideo because i would come from l.a to san diego and they were like oh mijo we made you a pot of sopa fideo my cousins would get so burned out that whatever wouldn't get left or get eaten i would get to take it home So, they would try and eat it all so that I wouldn't get to take none home. Wow. And they would eat like four bowls and get sick and throw up. So, I'm like, you did all that. You wasted all that just so I couldn't take some home. Like, you're scandalous, man. (laughs) But, you know, that's how good it was.
0: Yeah. I love that you said sopa de Fideo and not just, not like enchiladas or something. Yeah. That's like super homemade. You can't just go to like a restaurant and be like, I'll have your sopa de Fideo. That's like something you have at, at, at home
1: yeah it's so hard to find it's really hard and then there's restaurants that carry it and then they they discontinue it because people they're like it wasn't the most popular dish on the menu i go but it was one of your best (laughs) yeah that's for sure
0: best song to play at a latino party or at a kickback
1: um it depends if it's a uh latino latina or latinx (laughs) um you know there's all kinds of songs you know yeah, there's like yeah. the
0: what's your go-to
1: um you know if you're with the homies and stuff it's always like oldies and funk if it's like you know like uh like you know i used to always go to like the the real like you know uh tinks parties and they're like uh they'd play like camarón pelado or or La Chona, or something like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, and, you know, yeah, some yeah. of those, like, upbeat, fun songs, and then, uh, you know, the, like, they'd even like to play, like, some classic rock, you know, or there's always a old soul, you know, like the, you know, you'd always go to, like, these parties, and you'd hear, like, you know, uh, like, Cold-Blooded, James Brown, I mean, uh, Rick James, or you'd hear some, like, uh, you know, like Parliament or Funk or Earth, Wind & Fire or Marvin yeah. Gaye, like, you know, you hear that kind of soul, you hear oldies, you hear rock, you hear, you know, um, Banda music, you hear the Norteño music. Like That's one thing about uh, the Latinx culture is that they listen to, like, everything. And, you know, hip-hop, everything. It's like those parties are, they're, you're always going to have fun going to one of those parties yeah the food was gonna be bombed the music was gonna be good it might uh the there's enough there's always enough alcohol <laughs> and there might be some drama at the end that's like always may, drama at the end makes a good story yeah you know all that makes a good story so all was all good for me
0: i love it last one what's a nickname that no one really knows about.
1: For who? For you. Oh, for me? Um, well, I don't know if they're nicknames or just my names that people call me, you know? Like, uh, like there's different, like, my name is, like, hard to say to some people. So it's either, like, like it has Esteban... Or Esteban, or Esteban with a B. Yeah, yeah. Because in Mexico, it's more with a B. B A N, yeah. 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 Just like barrio and barrio, you know, it's the same type of thing. And then there's like, I had some black homies that they're, they'd all, their parents would call me Esteban or Estefan or Stavian. They go, Esteban. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, you gonna stay and eat with us? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even bother correcting them, you know? Yeah. Just be like, yeah, I just go with it. Then I had the white homies. They called me Steve. Steve. And then uh, <laughs> because my last name started with an O, yeah. you know, they called me Steve-O. Steve-O. But when I was a young kid, um, they would, my, my you know, Esteban is E-S-T-E-B-A-N. So they would just call me Estes, E-S-T-E-S. And uh, I even went by that in school for a while. Estes. Yeah, est- Estes. I don't know what, why, but somehow that that uh, I looked through some of my old papers that I do at school and like some old artwork.
0: And you were like doodle Estes.
1: No, they would they would be that at the top of the paper. You know, they say write your name on the top of the corner and the date oh, on the yeah, other yeah, corner.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You so would you would write that on, at the top of like, your. Like that was like, my assignment. name in school. Yeah.
1: So. I trip out on that. And um I say that's about it. You know, like 20 different
0: ways to say my name. <laughs> well, Estes, thank yeah. you so much, man, for coming by to Mondo and yeah, Friends. Yeah. I appreciate you. Esteban Oriel, mando Fresco, thank you again, man. I really, really appreciate you. And thank you so much for listening and watching Mondo and Friends presented by Verizon.